You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Psalm 27 is where we're going to be today as we continue uh, in our series that we've entitled Sabbatical Reflections. Uh, and the point of this series is just to be able to share with you some of the things God has taught me over the last three months on my sabbatical and what it means for our church. And uh, I want to invite you to do something that we've not really done before, but I would like for us to get in the practice of this. Is If you will, will you stand with me as we read uh, our passage this morning? Um, we really believe this is a very important part of our service because this is not just you know, words on a page, but we really believe that these are the very words of God that we are going to be reading together today and diving into. So out of reverence, let's just stand as I read, and then I'll pray and we'll dive into it. David says, this is verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. And there's our word for today. If you were, remember last week, I said there are four words that sum up my sabbatical. That's the word sacred, surrender, softer, and secure. So here we are. We see the word sacred. He says that he, talking about God, will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high up on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you again and we recognize that you are here with us. Help us to be here with you. I want to reject any temptation I have right now to try to be impressive or to manipulate. Uh, Just I want to get out of the way, and my hope and my desires truly is that each person here uh, will be able to gaze upon your beauty. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was the great American philosopher Madonna who once came up with the following statement or commented on the following statement in an interview with Vanity Fair. She said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. My drive in life has always come from a horrible fear of being mediocre. I still have to prove I'm somebody and that struggle will never end. Notice that Madonna despite all of the popularity and success and pleasure that she experienced, still found herself 
at the end of the day, longing for more. Uh, longing to feel this emptiness inside of her. Longing to live some meaningful life. And I think if we can be honest today, most of us can relate with her. In that, despite the fact that we are a society that is wealthier than ever, despite the fact we have more money and more technology and we're able to stay connected more, so to speak, through social media and we have all of this stuff at our fingertips, still, it feels as though something is missing. And yet, sadly, from my own experience and what I see, not just out in the world, but within the church, is that rather than us pursuing something of depth, we often will settle for some sort of cheap solution. Uh, we will, you know, for example, try to get, you know, settle for shallow connectedness rather than deep relationships or filtered images rather than authenticity. Uh, we care more about what New York Times bestselling author, author David Brooks refers to as resume virtues than we do about our funeral virtues. And in the process, uh, as we work so hard to look so good on the outside, we end up neglecting what's actually happening on the inside. And I would say, therefore, as a result, most of us feel like we are settling for a life right now that is less than the life we were created to experience. We just kind of go through the motions with this ache of, man, like there has to be something more than this. And what I hope you see this morning from our text is that these longings are actually meant to point you to something real. These longings, if you will pay attention to them, are actually meant to point us to something that really will bring us fulfillment and satisfaction no matter what is going on around us. The question is, how do we get there? Uh, How do we actually begin to discover for ourselves the one thing that really will truly meet the deepest longings of our heart? And this is the question that David wants to answer for us in Psalm 27. But before we look at this together, what I want you to notice is the answer David gets us is not wrapped in naive optimism or some sort of religious escape. I hate whenever preachers do that. Uh, Whenever they get up and they just give you this real inspirational talk that seems to be disconnected from reality. And that's not what David does here. What David is going to show us is something that actually um, is rooted in the reality that this world can be a very hard place to live. I mean, David speaks from his own experience. If you look in verse 2, he says, the wicked advance against me to devour me. In verse 3, he says, an army surrounds me. In verse 10, he says, my father and my mother have forsaken me. In verse 12, he says, false witnesses rise against me and they breathe out violence and accusations. And so, right, before we talk about this one thing that we need to find true fulfillment, just know that this psalm, what we're about to look at, it really is not out of touch with reality. It may feel like it is, but this is no Hallmark card. Like this is not some cheesy, inspirational Christian poster. Like this is real. This is a text that is situated in the reality that we now live in a fallen world. And therefore there are times where we look around and it seems like every single thing is wrong. Times where we look out, it seems like everything is falling apart. And so, yes, there are inspirational verses in Psalm 27, but if you pull these out of the context that we live in a fallen and broken world, what you're going to be left with is something that may be inspiring on a coffee mug, but it's not going to mean anything to you in real life. So um, that's one of the reasons, by the way, I love scripture. Like I love the fact that scripture is honest about the reality that we live in a fallen world. It's honest about the fact um, that we all come in here today with unmet expectations. Uh, For some of you, that's because of failed relationships, 
For some of you, it's because of the loss of a loved one. It's because of a tragedy or a trauma or the fact that we are, in the, once again, in the middle of this global pandemic. The Bible doesn't like try to brush that stuff under the rug as if it's not a real thing. Like we have all experienced in this life difficulties and disappointments. Last week, I talked about this from my own experience, how when I look back on my life now as a 38-year-old, there are times where I can say, yes, I have been disappointed with myself. I have been disappointed with others. I have been even disappointed with God. And as a result of sharing that last week, I got more texts and more emails and more Facebook messages than I've ever received on something I've shared here on stage. And I think it's just shows that you are all experiencing disappointment in your life. And David says we need to be honest about that. But then what I love about this text is in the middle of those disappointments, in the middle of these real life problems, David says, now let me give you an even greater perspective. He says, yes, pay attention to all of that. But I want you to realize that even when it seems like everything around you is falling apart, there really is just one thing you need. You might think there's a whole bunch of stuff you need to get your life back on track. But David says, nope, there's just one thing. In verse 4, he says, there is one thing I ask from the Lord. There is one thing I want. There is one thing that I seek. Notice that David doesn't say there are 10 things that I would like. And if this can happen, everything will be okay. He doesn't even say there are five things. He says, no, there's one thing that I ask for. I don't know about you, but like, there's a lot of things that I ask God for. Uh, hundreds of things I've asked God for just this past week. Uh, I, I have asked God for more money. I have asked God for just things like, you know, a better body or a bigger house or all, there's all sorts of things that I have asked for. And God is a good father who loves to give good gifts for sure. But notice here what, what David says is, look, if you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, what you need to realize is that joy is not found in all of that stuff. But actually, the key to real joy is found in figuring out what matters most and then building your life on that. I want to say that again. The key to real joy, according to David, is figuring out what matters most and then building your life on that. And if you notice, according to David, what matters most? What is the thing that he says that, that, that if I get this, I can experience peace even in the middle of my pain, peace even in the middle of my problems. Well, let me read verse four again in its entirety. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Translation, David says, you wanna know what the one thing is that you need? to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. He says, the one thing that is necessary is to dwell in the presence of God. I wonder this morning, do you believe that's true? Because I'll be honest, there are times that I don't. Do you truly believe that the one thing you need above any and everything else is just to dwell in the presence of God. And as long as you have that, you're going to be okay. Imagine if you could have all of your prayers answered. Imagine that back pain goes away. Imagine that sick one gets better. Imagine your debt is erased. Imagine your kids grow up to be everything you hoped they would be or 
Imagine your marriage becomes like this romance novel. Imagine getting all of your prayers answered and then be honest. Do you believe that God is better than all of that? That's a question that I've had to wrestle with over sabbatical and as I have contemplated and meditated on Psalm 27. Do I really believe God is better than having all of my prayers answered? Uh, Do I really believe that God is better than having a successful ministry? Like, do I really believe that God is, is better than my family and I being healthy and wealthy? Like, do I really believe that God is better than maybe me being popular or whatever it may be? You see, for David, he says there is nothing on all of earth that compares to being in the presence of God. That is a blockbuster statement. And therefore, of all the things David could have asked for, as the world around him was fallen apart, the one thing he says, I want more than anything, is to dwell in the house of God, to make my home in God's presence, to sit in his sacred tent. And while David is there, what is he doing? He's not making some sort of request. He's not saying, like, God, make my life easier. God, pull me out of this situation. While he's sitting in the presence of God, he's just sitting there in verse 4 and beholding his beauty. This has been convicting to me because what I have realized is for much of my adult life, I have seen God as useful, but I have not seen him as beautiful. I've seen God as like this means to an end, but not the end. Uh, just this past week, even while I was mowing my yard, I, I became aware of how I was doing this. As I went out to mow my yard, and usually I put earbuds in so I can like listen to a podcast or some music and uh, just enjoy not being in the house with wild, crazy kids for a little bit. And I tell Megan that she should be happy that I'm out serving as I am mowing the yard while she's in there with the kids, you know. And so, uh, baby, this is hard work out here. And so... Um, but I'm sitting there and I don't put my earbuds in and and I'm thinking, you know, God, I just want to mow the yard in your presence so that you can then give me a sermon for this Sunday. And I realized how subtle that shift was from even three months ago, whenever I didn't have to come up here and sit on a stage and give a sermon and how I was content with just mowing the yard and saying, I just want to be in your presence and whatever happens, happens. Just a subtle little shift. And again, God is a good God. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. There's nothing wrong with asking him for these kind of things. But I think if we're not careful, this is where the problem comes in. This is why so many of us, I think, today are anxious and frustrated and constantly disappointed in life. It's because if we could be honest, God is not our primary pursuit. Like more than we want God, we want God's goodies. We want him to give us something that we actually believe that we need more than we need him in order to be happy. But in reality, as David points out in Psalm 27, if we want peace in the middle of the pain and in peace in the middle of our problems, more than we need God to change our circumstances, we need God. More than we need presence, we need his presence. And what's so incredible, guys, and we take this for granted, is in the Old Testament, like right here in Psalm 27, if you wanted to experience God's presence, you had to go to a place to get access. And then only a few people could do it, the priest. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to the sacred tent. But yet you fast forward to the New Testament, and and because of what Christ has done for us, uh, the good news of the gospel is that he came not just to forgive us of our sins, but to forgive us of our sins so that we can now enter into the presence of God without being obliterated. 
We can experience God's presence in all time, at all places. Rather than having to go to a temple or to this sacred tent, we can live a sacred life where we are dwelling in the presence of God every single day, just in the ordinary stuff. This is what God gives us through his promised Holy Spirit. And according to David in Psalm 27, he says, this, when you get it, when you understand that when Jesus was on the cross and the temple, right, or the veil in the temple was torn in two, releasing God's presence to the world, when you understand that you can now have access to his presence through his Holy Spirit, it changes everything. In verse 1 and 2, he says, are you afraid? Is there anything you're afraid of this morning? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of the unknown future? Are you afraid of, man, what is COVID going to do to me and my loved ones? I mean, there's so many fears we have. And David says in verse 1 and 2, God's presence will transform your fear. Are you feeling defeated? He talks about this in verse 3 and verse 6. Are any of you here today walking in shame? You feel like your enemies has gotten the best of you. God, David says, will lift you above your enemies. His presence will transform your defeat. In verse 11, right, he talks about this idea of of being lonely, of being abandoned, of being rejected. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced this. For David, it was his own parents that abandoned him. That's crazy. I mean, like the the, the very relationship, the very people who are supposed to protect you and, and support you. David says, even if this relationship breaks down, you can have peace because you can know that God will never leave you, that he will protect you. His nearness, his presence transforms our abandonment. And then he says in verse 13 to 14, are you feeling hopeless? Is there anybody in here today that's like, man, honestly, I feel like my best days are behind me, that there's no way the future will be bright for me. No matter what comes your way, if you continue to pursue the presence of God, what David wants us to see is that even if we lose everything, we can still have a rock-solid confidence that we will never lose God. And therefore, because we have him, we have everything that we need to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to have security and salvation. God's presence transforms our hopelessness. And I know that, I know because I've been there, that when you hear someone get up and say something, you're like that. You're like, I hope that's true. But it's not my experience. And first off, if that's where you are, welcome. You're not alone. Glad you're here. Um, but I hate whenever preachers get up and preach a message like this and then they like start yelling at the end to really like kind of get you amped up and kind of get you feeling like you know like okay something amazing's happening and then we just like end and go our own ways we're like okay well now what do I do because I still don't experience God's presence in the way that you just talked about so now what do I do and so I've thought about this and as I have reflected on this passage and I've reflected on the last three months of my sabbatical and I reflected on my time at the monastery and I was talking with some of the monks again this past week about this, I really have come to believe that if we want to learn how to live aware of and connected to God, like more than we need a full-time worship leader, more than we need a better preaching, more than we need anything else, if we are going to truly practice the presence of God, we need to do so by practicing what has been referred to as a daily office. And I know that this is somewhat familiar language for some of you. For others, it's not. But a daily office, in short, is just a time-tested transformational practice that is observed, yes, by the monks, but also it's observed by people from all different denominations throughout church history as an effective way of slowing ourselves down and then meeting with God throughout the day. 
if you will look and just go read the scriptures on your own, from Moses to Elijah to John the Baptist to Jesus, people have typically their most profound experiences with God the Father through places of silence and solitude. And the daily office is just meant to slow us down so that we can experience that exact thing. And my hope is what I'm about to share with you is that every single one of you will start doing it tomorrow. That's my hope. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you are here and you're like, man, I don't know God the way David knows God, and I want to begin to open myself up to experience him in that way, then I want to encourage you to at least try on what I'm about to talk about. What I want to encourage you to do to start tomorrow is to carve out three times a day, once in the morning, once at noon, or around noon, and once in the evening, where you are trying to create space to center yourself in God's presence. And here's how uh, I would encourage you to do this. In the morning, I want you to start your entire, start your day. Before you do anything else, start it with the Lord's Prayer and then spend just a moment meditating on a passage of Scripture. I personally recommend that you read a psalm uh, or a section in the Gospel of John or a section in Ecclesiastes because that's where we're going to be in September. We're going to walk through that entire book starting in September. And the way that I do this, and I've been doing this for a while, I know Adam has, and again, this is nothing new uh, in church history, it's, it's, we've seen it all throughout, but what I do basically, just to try to help you understand what this looks like, is I start my day with two to three minutes of silence. I breathe in for four seconds, I breathe, I hold my breath for four seconds, and I breathe out for six seconds. And there's all sorts of science behind why I think that's good, Doesn't you don't have to do it that way, that's just what I do. And then I just take a moment and say, okay, God, I know you're here, but help me to be here with you. And then after that, I just quote the Lord's Prayer. And if you have not memorized the Lord's Prayer, I would encourage you to go do that. Whenever the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, this is the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. He says, when you pray, say this. And the word he uses for say literally means repeat this. A repetition is not bad. Okay, We think it is, but it's not. So he says, repeat this. And then he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, I would encourage you to start with just repeating that. And then as you're ready and you've memorized it and you feel comfortable, then you can just look at those lines, those little hooks to hang kind of your own little customized prayer on, if that makes sense. And so you might come to the part about give us our daily bread and say, God, like, I really need you to give me energy to face everything I've got to face today. God, I really need you to please like, touch that part of my back or whatever else it may be to help me get through this next meeting. God, I really need you to provide for my family financially because I don't know how we're going to pay these bills in this season of life. Does that make sense? But just start with repeating that prayer and trusting that God actually knows better how to pray than you do. So you're just praying his words. That's all you're doing. And then after you do that, I would encourage you just to find a, a section of scripture to meditate on, to chew on. Don't just like read it and rush through it, but read two, three, four verses and say, okay, is there any image or word or phrase that sticks out to me? And then again, spend about two or three minutes in silence just asking God, how do you want this to change me? What are you trying to say? How are you trying to come to me through this? Is there anything you're asking me to do? I would encourage you guys, listen, to do that every single morning before you do anything else. Before you eat, before you start fixing your hair, I mean, I guess you can fix your hair, whatever, that makes you feel better, put your clothes on or whatnot. So, um, but before you do anything else, don't just rush out your day without 
spending time centering yourself in God's presence through a morning office. Then I would encourage you to adopt a midday office. And what I would encourage you to do here is to pray what Scott McKnight refers to as the Jesus Creed. By the way, if you're looking for a good book, read the Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. It's been out for years. I just now picked it up recently, but I love it. The Jesus Creed is a prayer we know throughout church history that Jesus stopped and prayed at least twice a day. Um, he sums it up in Mark chapter 12 when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine how your life would be different if just for a couple moments every day as your willpower is beginning to diminish, and in the afternoons you're, 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 you're tempted to start getting a little testy with people or impatient with people, what would happen if just for a couple minutes you got alone before the kids came in for your next class, Right? Even if you have to go to the bathroom stall, whatever it takes, to just get alone and just to pray this prayer. God, in the rest of this day, please give me the strength, give me the faith, give me the energy, give me what I need to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor, to love these students, to love this coworker, to love my boss, to love whoever it is that I rub up against at the grocery store or wherever, as you've called me to love my own self. And then finally, in the evening, I would encourage you to pray a prayer of gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Can you imagine how much different your life would be if you took time at night, rather than thinking about all the stuff you didn't get done and everything you got to do tomorrow, if you just stopped, you centered yourself in God's presence, and began to thank him for the blessings that day that we often take for granted something like a hug or a cup of coffee or your health or that person that came and confided in you and asked for your advice, whatever it may be. Imagine if you went to bed at night and you fell asleep counting your blessings. Wouldn't that be awesome? My guess is that if you would do this, if you will take just a few moments in the morning, that's all this really takes, but if you would take a few moments in the morning, a few few at noon, and a few at night, just kind of open yourself up to the presence of God. My guess is, not overnight, but over time, like David, you will begin to hold, behold the beauty of God. And you will begin to be transformed from the inside out. And you will become more aware of his presence, not just in those moments, but the goal is you will become more aware of his presence throughout all of your day. So you really will learn how to be in the grocery store and in the presence of God, changing diapers and in the presence of God, at work or at school and in the presence of God. Of God. This is what happens as we consistently, I believe, begin to practice this time tested daily office. And before that, we just kind of, you know, jet out of here and say, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. Let me give you just two quick tips in order for this to work and work well. And the first thing that I want to say is this is before you begin to practice a daily office for the person or the, for the purpose of opening yourself up to God's presence, you are going to have to normalize boredom which may seem like a very odd thing for a pastor to say. But if I can be honest with you, I do have some mountaintop experiences with God, but 99 times out of 100, my times in Scripture and prayer are pretty uneventful. Um, Most of the time, I don't see anything, I don't hear anything, I don't feel anything. And I share that with you not to discourage you, but I just want you to know that if you begin to try this and it's boring, it's not that you're doing something wrong. Because from my experiences, I've talked to people over the last five or six years, we've really been kind of drilling on these practices. People are like, man, I, I do it, but I, I just never really get anything out of it. 
And what they mean is, I just don't feel anything. I don't feel like it's, it's working. And listen, I think we've got to be very careful here because we can get so caught up in how we feel that we think, if I don't feel anything, then I must be wasting my time. I mean, we often associate the presence of God with this epic, emotional, like, church camp experience. And we think, well, if there was a buzz in the room, then God was there, right? We use that language. He showed up and showed out or whatever, you know? And, you know, we think if we leave and we didn't get, like, some goosebumps, like, it was pointless. Like, why did I even get up that morning? Like, why did I even try this? When I was on sabbatical, I visited different churches every single Sunday morning and I really, I didn't go to any church to like judge a church or like, can we learn something from them? Like I just went as a child of God, just trying to like figure out like, man, is this, yeah, like, like just really just trying to soak up God's love and, and to try to center myself in his presence. And I believe in this stuff. I don't just do this because I'm a pastor. Like even if I wasn't a pastor, I would be where you are. Like I believe this is important. And um, all of my experiences were great except for one. And it was at a church in Jonesboro, and I won't say the name of the church or what affiliation it was with or whatever, but it was like literally the pastor and the pastor's wife were just trying to like, to stir us up in a frenzy and then convince us that like, if we were like, ah, like getting crazy and excited, like it had to be the presence of God. And uh, by the way, total side note, I didn't share this in the first service. I guess I feel the freedom to share it with y'all, but I, I, I try not to get up. When someone else is speaking, there's nothing wrong with getting up and someone's speaking. Uh, that's actually happening right now. So, uh, sorry. And so, <laughs> I, said, I said that as someone's getting up. Uh, <laughs> that was awful timing. <laughs> Couldn't have been worse. Um, but I was in this service in Jonesboro for like three hours. It was a three-hour service. And I eventually told my wife, I was like, I have got to go pee. And so I get up and I walk away and while I'm in the bathroom, this has nothing to do with the rest of my sermon, by the way, I'm just preparing you. This is, there's no like spiritual point to this. Um, but I, I'm in the bathroom and I hear a round of applause and I come back to my seat and my wife, uh, uh, she said, did you hear everyone clapping? And I was like, yeah, what was up? And she goes, they called you out in the middle of the service. And I was like, really? And they said, uh, he said, the pastor was talking. He said, I'd be amiss today if I didn't call out. We have a man of God in the, in the, in our audience today. Pastor Jared Pickney, stand on up. And everyone's like, woo, starts clapping. And I'm not there. And, uh, and, uh, he looks, he's like, is, uh, Pastor Jared, is he, is he in here? And my wife goes, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> and so it was like, thanks, babe. Um, and so that might have tainted my view of the whole experience. I'm just throwing that out there. But anyways, I, it was a long service. People are running down the aisles. It's, it's crazy. And, and at one point, the pastor says, what's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on here. All the churches in Northeast Arkansas have closed their vents on the Holy Spirit. And we're getting all the heat. And I thought, man, wow. Because I just went to a little Presbyterian church with nine people who all seem to love Jesus. I just went to a little Anglican church with 20 people and I saw this little old lady sitting there with a smile on her face and joy in her eyes and she's just singing these old songs of timeless truths about Jesus. And I was like, I don't think we have the right to say this church because it's an emotional frenzy has more of the Holy Spirit than this church over here because people aren't jumping over the pews. And... 
I know some of you are in here and listen, I, I'm charismatic. I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm for, I'm for that stuff in, in, in some ways, in the right ways. Um, but I know some of you, maybe you're hearing me and you're like, I just don't know, Pastor. Like, it just seems like to me, like the, the emotional thing is like, well, that's when you know God's presence there. But let me just try to explain it like this. Imagine you have a father with two kids. And one of his kids comes to see him every day for two hours. And he just sits with his father. And he does it over and over every single day for years. Just comes and sits with his dad, sits with his dad, sits with his dad. How many times do you think he's going to have these like goosebump moments? How many times do you think that son is really going to get all worked up? I don't know, once or two, maybe he'll start crying again. I, I don't know. But now imagine there's another son, and let's say he lives in California, and he shows up, and it's the first time he's seen his dad in years. And whenever they see each other, they begin to cry, and the son's like, Dad! You know, like, ah, God, and he's all excited. Now, if you were just there in person, and you were trying to judge it based off of what you saw on the surface, which kid seems to have a deeper relationship with their, with their dad? The one who's crying, and oh, Dad! When in reality, it's the one who's just been sitting there with his dad, even in the boring, mundane stuff, time in and time out, and just keeps showing up year after year after year. He's the one who's going to be able to talk more at the funeral about his dad and tell what he's like. And I'm not sharing all of that to beat up on um, raising your hands and crying or, or speaking in tongues or any of that stuff. That's fantastic. Great. Nothing wrong with any of that, but I just want you to realize most of the time when you are going to be running after this prayer or scripture, or these daily offices, it's going to feel like nothing is happening and that's okay. Just keep showing up like the son who shows up to his dad over and over and over and trust God is doing something in that. So normalize boredom and the last thing I'll say is this, remember that as you are beholding God with the eyes of faith, that he is beholding you with eyes of love. The daily office is not about a ritual, it's about a relationship. It's not about earning God's love, it's about abiding in the perfect love that he already has for you. And the reason it's so important that you get this is think about this, okay? Uh, last Sunday night, a week, uh, a week ago tonight, we had our vacation Bible school, which was awesome for one night. Um... <laughs> And so thank you to everyone who worked hard to pull that off. It was great. Um, but I brought my son with me. I brought all of my kids with me and some of our neighbor kids. And I was so excited. Anyways, Moses, my youngest, uh, he did not want to go to class. And so I went to class with him. And what I noticed is as I was in his classroom with him is he just could not take his eyes off of me. He just kept looking at me and smiling and looking at me and smiling. He was just fixing his eyes on his daddy. And I, I took a picture of him because this is just an example. Then we can put it on the screen for you. But this is my, my buddy, and, and this is him after he finished a craft. He's like, Daddy, look at my craft. You know, and he's holding up. He's just smiling. He's so happy. And, you know, I, I started thinking, here I am, and, and I'm, I'm locked in with my son. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. We had this, like, really intimate moment. By the way, I can promise you, he does not look at me like that at the house most of the time. So... <laughs> Being just real parenting moment. This was like, not like, okay. So, unique moment. And uh, as I'm looking at him, I have this intimate moment. Just me and my son, nobody else even paying attention. I just thought like, man, like that's what God is like with me. 
here I am, I'm running around, I'm not even paying attention, I'm talking to this person and that person, he's just sitting there with his eyes fixed on me and just smiling. Just smiling. Man, and, and, and that's the way, guys, God views you. God, no matter what you're doing throughout the week, the scripture is clear, he sees you. And he sees you with eyes of love. He sees you not with eyes of disappointment, not with eyes of frustration, not with eyes of like, I saw what you did, like I caught you. Like he sees you with eyes of love. Some of you, man, you really do think that God hates you. You think that God is mad at you. He's frustrated with you. Why are you not better than you are by now? And that is just not true. The scripture is clear that when God sees you, his face shines on you. Zephaniah says he rejoices over you with singing. And so as you dive into this this week, here's the best tip I can give you. As you begin to try to behold God with eyes of faith, and that's what it is. It takes faith to believe all of this stuff we're talking about today. But as you begin to behold him with eyes of faith, trust that he is beholding you with eyes of love. David said, one thing I ask, one thing I want, that is to dwell in the presence of God. That's our invitation. There's nothing better than that that I could give you. There's nothing better than that for our church. It is the invitation to slow down and to create space to begin to live aware of God's presence, to abide in his love that truly changes everything.